morning, church. Thank you guys for being with us this morning. Today we are going to be in Galatians chapter 5 today. And here's what's interesting. We're going to be once again talking about the Holy Spirit because what had happened in the early church is the early church got to see the Holy Spirit descend upon them at the day of Pentecost. And when we have this New Testament, especially the Pauline epistles, they're trying to make sense of what simply makes no sense. They're trying to educate and help everybody to understand what's happening in this situation. Because to be honest with you, they had never experienced what they're experiencing now. See, what we're going to see today is this war. We're going to see a war between the flesh and the spirit. But we're also going to see this war between the law and Jesus. See, we recognize that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. But there was definitely some things that changed. And here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get the people to stop thinking about religion and stop thinking about rules and stop thinking about all of these do's, 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 and don't do's. And rather focus on pursuing him. And here's what I feel like we need to understand as Christians. When we pursue Jesus with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we start to do the wrong, right things and we avoid the wrong things naturally when we pursue Jesus. See, one of my biggest, biggest issues as a kid was, I know it's really hard for you guys to believe, but I just wasn't really a rule follower. Like, it just really wasn't my thing. And with that being said, I really had a hard time trying to justify following after Jesus because I felt like it was just this list of rules. All of these things I had to remember. I'm not allowed to do this, and I'm not allowed to do that, and I'm not supposed to act like this, and I'm not supposed to act like that. And it got really frustrating, and I almost felt like I was uh, very restrained. And here's what I started to recognize. If believers will stop focusing on what we're not supposed to do, but rather focus on loving and pursuing Jesus with every bit of strength that we have, when that happens, when we do that, everything else falls into place. When we pursue Jesus with all of our heart, soul, and mind, our actions start to change. Our actions start to shift because our heart changes and our motive shifts. Today, as we look at the Holy Spirit, what we're going to notice is this. We're not going to notice miracles. We're not going to notice speaking in tongues. See, all of these miracles and healings, those were the things that got the headlines back in the day. But see, what we're talking about today, the fruits of the Spirit, is which made those headlines possible. See, what we're going to be talking about today is these things that often go unnoticed, but they are the foundation of what the Holy Spirit does, the foundation of Holy Spirit work, and they're also the sign of salvation and the life of the believer. So here's what we're going to notice, four key things. We're going to notice the reality of the struggle, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, and then the secret to success. So the first thing we recognize is the reality of the struggle. The NPR had a popular radio show that they called The American Life, and it was really interesting stuff. And they had an episode called The Devil Inside of Me. And so they asked a bunch of people if they ever felt like they were under a spell of an inner voice. And that sort of held them in bondage to unwanted thoughts. And the host of the show said, quote, it was like people had been waiting all their lives for someone to ask them this question. One guy said this, I certainly know the voice you're talking about. 
Another man said, the voice is irresistible, always. A woman said, totally out of control. It's got this life of its own, and I can't tame it anymore. Another woman said, I actually have a name for the voice. I call it Stan. Stan is the guy who tells me to have the extra glass of wine. Stan is the guy who tells me to smoke. And at the end of the show, the host asks everyone, do you feel like the voice is winning? And a woman in the audience said, right now, yeah. See, I think what we have to recognize is we are in a battle. And we, we love to talk about how there's this battle between Jesus and Satan. Principalities, not of this world. And that's absolutely true. But can I tell you what we fight more than we fight any demonic or principality war? We fight the war of the flesh. I think all too often we give the enemy way too much credit. And we say that Satan's really on me today. Satan's really tempting me today. Can I be honest with you guys today and say often the biggest battle you will fight is simply against yourself. See, self is the biggest issue that we have as Christians because we have this war against the flesh and the spirit. Let's look at Galatians 5 verses 16. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this word, walk, see, this is an imperative. It indicates it's a command. It's saying this is not an option. Walk in the Spirit. See, when we think about the teachings of Jesus, the writings of Paul's, we picture this guy with long hair that's a really cool-looking hippie that everything he says, he says in a very smooth tone. And it's very kind and it's very sweet. I think we miss that Jesus was a very commanding presence. And Jesus doesn't give us suggestions. Jesus doesn't just, hey, if you want to, if this will work out best for you, if you feel like this would help you, why don't you do this? See, when we look at God's word, God's word is very clear. And it's saying, when you do this, you please your heavenly Father. And he's saying, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, that second part of what I just read sounds almost like a good thing and almost like a bad thing. Depends on your state of mind. See, if you walk by the Spirit, you will be depriving your flesh. You will be depriving your sin self. But... Also, you have to look at that somewhat as a little bit of a letdown because indulging in your flesh and indulging in your selfishness and indulging in your sin is often what we desire to do. And so this is definitely a shot to our flesh. We have to recognize that we have to die to the flesh, as Scripture says. But often that's a very hard death because we love the flesh. We love security. We love our pride. We love our comforts. But Jesus doesn't give it an option. And then we have the spirit on one side, we have the flesh on the other. And how do we win the war? And how do we win the battle? Well, we'll get into this throughout the sermon. But one thing I'll start it off by saying is, whoever wins is the voice in which you feed. See, we have the voices going in on our life. We have the spirit, we have the flesh, we have the Holy Spirit that's convicting us and consistently striving to draw us nearer to the Lord. And then we have our flesh that's constantly striving to pull us further away. 
And the voice will get louder as the one that you feed and the one that you listen to. Church, we're always feeding a voice. We're always allowing for one voice to have the microphone. Often, I can think of times in my own personal life when I sensed the Holy Spirit calling and leading. But I wanted to put that voice under a bucket, but give my flesh a microphone. Church, I think we often do that. I think we often try to deprive the Spirit, deprive the voice of the Holy Spirit, making it as small as possible. Because if we do not hear it or if we can ignore it, maybe the conviction will be a little less. The Spirit depresses one evil's craving in life. Let me, hear, let me go ahead and give you a powerful quote I read today. Why does the flesh often win in our lives? Well, listen to this. We often as believers get caught up trying not to sin. Don't do wrong. Don't do this. Don't do that. I don't respond well to rules. But let me tell you, I love my wife and I want her to be happy with me. But I don't want to just hear what she doesn't like for me to do. I don't want a bunch of rules as to what I can't do. I would rather her tell me what pleases her. And out of love for her, I will do what pleases her. See, instead of thinking about rules, we have to recognize that our desire should be to please our Heavenly Father. And when we hear things that make our Holy Father happy with us and thrilled with us and pleased with us, that should be a driving force within our life. It's not about avoiding things. It's about pursuing things that make our Heavenly Father Please, let's look at verse 17. For the desire of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Let's look at this. Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult to ignore the flesh? Listen to this. Neil Anderson wrote a quote that I absolutely loved. You brought to your Christian commitment a fully conditional mindset and lifestyle developed apart from God and centered on yourself. Sure, you were born physically alive, but spiritually dead. And you had neither the presence of God nor the knowledge of God's ways. So you learn to live life independent of God. Your flesh patterns are the ways you've learned to find life, to live life, to make life work without depending on God. See, we think about when you get saved, all of a sudden the penalty of sin is removed, absolutely. But your sin nature is not removed. I think when we come to faith in Christ or when we see others come to faith in Christ, that would be even more true. We expect for this to be this 180 degree change, this 180 degree turnaround, this shift to where they look nothing like what they did before because Jesus is in them and there's this transformative power. Absolutely, the change, the bondage of sin has been removed, but the sin nature remains. And somebody that has been trying to survive this world without Jesus has come up with all of these coping mechanisms within their life in order to make life work, in order to make life sufficient, in order to go through this life day after day. And they have to change their whole concepts of thinking, their actions, the way that they spend their time 
in order to pursue Jesus because they have geared and shifted everything on how to survive without him. I think we need to have a little bit more grace as Christians when we see young Christians come to faith in Christ. Y'all, it's funny, but whenever you see a, a, a mature person, somebody above the age of 20, come to faith in Christ, it takes time for them to let go of the old patterns. Have you ever seen somebody that quit smoking? See, somebody that quit smoking, one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because smoking often becomes a pattern of their life. See, they figure out times of their day to go out and smoke. They get used to holding that cigarette in their hand. They get used to the feeling of that cigarette sitting in their mouth. And they have trouble figuring out how to go through life, not without just the nicotine, but also without the concept of doing the habits that they've always had. What are they going to do with their time anymore? How are they going to fill it? See, one of my frustrations is, is that sometimes we have really high expectations on new believers, but we do not give them the tools that they need to change their habits. See, we have this program in our church, and in many churches called Celebrate Recovery, and it's for anybody with a hurt habit or hang-up. And here's what's interesting. The majority of people in our CR program are saved people. Because you want to know what happens when you get saved? The temptation is still there. The struggle is still there, but for the very first time in their life, they have the power and the strength to overcome it. For the very first time when they have Jesus in their life, they have the power and the strength to overcome the issues that they're dealing with. Before they didn't have the ability, now they do, but the temptation is still very real. Understand that when people come to faith in Christ, everything has to shift. Internally, there has been a shift because they no longer have to deal with the penalty of their sin. They are freed. Absolutely, their motives should shift but it's going to take a little bit of time as they figure out how to live life differently. Once again, can I say one more thing about how we view people that are new converts to the faith? We have to understand this. I met somebody the other day that is their very first time in a church and they came to IBC. Their very first time walking into a congregation. It was a young couple and here's what was funny. After the service, they came to the first service and about 25 minutes or so went by and I was walking through our atrium and they were still standing in the atrium kind of looking around and I went to them and I asked, I said, are you guys okay? They said, yeah, like, uh, do we just go home at this point? Like, what do we do? They had no idea because here's something I think we forget. I think we forget that there are people in this world that have never been exposed to the gospel or the bride of Christ. And because that, they do not understand a lot of the things that we do. We hold them to a standard that they have never been informed of. When you come to faith in Christ, absolutely. Do you have the saving power of Jesus come in you? Yes. Do you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you know what to do with that? Absolutely not. You have no idea what to do with all of the new convictions that you're dealing with. Mike, could you imagine being a new believer and not having a church background, what that would look like? My goodness, all of a sudden you have the Holy Spirit in your life convicting you of things, and you have no idea why all of a sudden these things are wrong. All of the things that used to bring you joy and pleasure now bring you nervousness and anxiety because the Lord is telling you to avoid those things that you used to find comfort and solace in. Church, we have to wrap our arms 
around new believers tighter than what we think. Let's look at Romans 7 verse 14 for a second. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Mm, Favorite verse. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Romans 7, 24, Paul writes again, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? See, what Paul is saying is there is this battle raging in me. I know what I should do. I know what I shouldn't do. But guess what? It is so difficult. Even though I am no longer shackled by sin, even though I am not enslaved by sin, it is so natural to walk back into our sinful patterns and lifestyle because it is what we have found comfort in for so long. It's like that pair of jeans in your closet that you know You absolutely know it doesn't look good on you anymore. There are holes all over it, but you cannot throw them away because they are so darn comfortable every time you put them on. Am I the only one that has that pair of jeans? Man, I'm telling you, my wife hates it. They've got stains on them. They've got rips in them. But y'all, I wear them around the house just because they feel good when I put them on. And often our sin is like that. We know that it doesn't look good on us. We know that it's not what we should do. We know that everybody else, if they saw us living in the sin that we have, man, they would look at us so poorly. But yet, we often find so much comfort and solace and our sin. We have to change our actions. We get convicted for our sin when we have Christ, but still we find a fleshly comfort in the sin. The battle is raging. He has not taken away the sinful nature, but he has equipped us to overcome it. Now let's look at the works of the flesh for a minute in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident or obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this is this place where Paul is saying to the believers that these are all of the things... All of these things are things that are going on, that y'all are struggling with or have struggled with. But also he's talking to this group of religious Jews that have converted in to Christianity. And here's what he's saying to them too. He's saying, listen, for those of you who have been living the Jewish lifestyle, you guys have avoided these things. But you've avoided these things because they were rules. Let's not avoid them because there are rules against them. Let's avoid them because Jesus does not find pleasure when we do these things. Let's change our motive. Paul is trying to break the motive of following after the Lord. The motive of pleasing God. The motive of doing the right thing. He's trying to get them to understand that it's not about doing things simply because there are rules. It's doing things that will please our Heavenly Father and avoiding the things that won't. See... Often, what Christians try to do is we want to find that line. Hey, how close can I come to sinning without sinning? See, I've been in youth ministry long enough to have kids that ask me that question. Here's the difference. Adults think it. They just will never ask it. Your students will always ask it. And here's the thing. When we talk about this line of sin, hey, we we, we have the flesh on this side. We have the spirit on this side. And how close to the line can I walk before I actually fall into sin. One of the best verses I got to respond to that is this. Cast off any weight 
that binds. Any weight that will slow you down whatsoever in running effectively for the cause of Christ, let go of it. Let go of any sin, any issue, any attitude that could ever get in the way of you making much of Jesus. I think that takes away a whole lot of gray areas in the Christian life. But looking at all of those sins, we're going to go ahead and I can break them down into four categories I heard. The first category that we can go with is sexual promiscuity. Then we can look at false worship with idolatry and sorcery. Then we can see conflict. How we handle conflict, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And then we see the sins of someone that has no restraint, such as drunkenness, or another word for one of them is carousing. Saying that, I think that's a good four categories to basically sum up the majority of sin that anybody could struggle with. And saying that, these are sins that are going around that they knew were going around. Paul is speaking directly to the church And he's trying to get them to understand something. We avoid these things, but why do we avoid these things? Let's finish the verse. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that is a little scary, isn't it? When you read that for the first time, isn't the first thing that went up in your mind, "Uh uh-oh. Right? Like, I'm the uh uh-oh guy. Like, I'm looking at some of these, and I'm going like, ooh, fits of anger, envy. Some of y'all watching football yesterday, mmm. I'm just telling you, Twitter don't lie. I see what y'all post, Mm -hmm. mm-hmm. Here's something that we have to understand. When it says this, I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I wanted to make sure I got this right. So what I started to do was we try to go back to the original languages to make sure that what we're seeing in the text, we're translating well. And the word for do, that those who do such things, that word is proso, which means to practice or to participate in. Now, I'm going to use some big English words. Do we have anybody that's like, man, you're like an English major. You're going to know what I'm talking about. Here's what it is. It is an active participle. So an active participle. Where's the other? Yeah, it's a present active participle. So what does that mean? Present, meaning currently happening. Active, meaning repeatedly. So presently happening, repeatedly happening. See, this is something that happens consistently. And not what he's saying to somebody that wrestles with from time to time, somebody that gets convicted and then runs away from that sin. We're talking about somebody that lives in that sin with no conviction. That's the best interpretation of this verse that I can find. And somebody that are living in these sins with no convictions, what he's saying is, is that you were never a Christian in the first place. If the Holy Spirit is not convicting you of the sins that are going on in your life, you need to question if the Holy Spirit is present and active in your life. One of the biggest, easiest ways for somebody to figure out if they're a believer or not. Do you feel convicted of your sin? Do you feel convicted of your sin? Because guess what? You don't need much of an education on scripture, theology, to have a conviction. I believe that conviction becomes immediate upon the receiving of the Holy Spirit, which happens at salvation. 
When a Christian sins, two things happen. The conviction of sin happens, but then discipline happens. God does not discipline you out of anger, but he disciplines you out of love. How much do you have to hate somebody to allow them to do something that you know would hurt them without stopping them? See, if you saw somebody walking into traffic, wouldn't you stop them? And if they didn't listen to you and they got closer and closer to traffic, wouldn't eventually you yank them away from what would eventually harm them? Of course you would. We have to recognize that Jesus disciplines those who he loves. And there is discipline in the life of the believer through a word we like to call consequences. There are consequences to our sin. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's go back a couple chapters with me just for a second. Galatians 5 verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free... But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather to serve one another humbly in love. So he's talking about y'all are released from the law. But yet, through your releasing, it's not that you guys are free to do whatever you want to do. Your motives have shifted from being rule-oriented to being focused on pleasing and finding closeness and intimacy with our Savior. In doing that, don't make much of sin. Make much of Jesus. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Adrian Rogers, I love to listen to this guy. Can I just tell you, I'm so jealous of that guy's voice. It's a great day at Bellevue. But what he said, I love. He said, now that I have Christ, I can sin all I want to. But I don't want to. Isn't that powerful? See, I've heard stories of preachers that have said, you know what, hey, you can find yourself in sin. You can, find your, you can get saved on Sunday and then go cheat on your wife on Monday and Jesus still loves you. You know what? Is that a valid statement? Does Jesus still love you? Sure. But can I really say what's true about that statement or what's not true about that statement? Is you shouldn't want to. You shouldn't want to. The conviction of sin, the power of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ should change your motives completely. See, your actions might not change on a dime, but I believe that your mind shifts. It should shift because you have experienced forgiveness for the very first time in your life. You, you, I'm getting so into it right now. You have received the love of Jesus for the very first time. And shouldn't that shift and change everything? It absolutely should. It should shift and it should change the way that you think. You have the freedom to sin but why should you want to? Why should you want to when you recognize what Jesus did for you? And what pleases Jesus is that you avoid sin by indulging in him. And then in verse 22, he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Join me in this. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no 
law. So Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh against the fruit of the Spirit. And I think what Paul is trying to say is, hey, if you'll not focus so much on just avoiding sin, but rather focus on pursuing Jesus, life will get easier. See, I think if we focus on following after the Lord with all that we have, sin will become less of a priority because we will spend less time thinking about avoiding sin, a.k.a. thinking about sin, and we'll spend more time focusing and thinking about on doing what is right. See, I've got to work a lot with different recovery programs, and one of the best recovery programs I ever saw, what they did was is they allowed, it, it was a rehab facility. Here's what they said. They said, we don't allow for our people just to sit around and think and wander. What we do is we make them as busy as possible doing the right things. And when they get out of our facility, we make sure that they have a full-time job, that they are volunteering in a church for continuous hours every single day. Because here's the thing. If we can get them doing the right thing, they won't have time to do the wrong thing. See, church, sometimes we get way too caught up in the rules of not doing things. And I think that that's just a recipe for failure. I think what we need to do is be thinking about how to use the gifts that God has given us. Something interesting about this is the tense of that word fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say fruits, but the fruit, one fruit, numerous traces of these fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, each of these show up in the believer's heart and life. I believe that when you accept Jesus, you get the fruit of the Spirit. You have the ability to live those out as you listen to the Spirit. I believe that fruit in your life should grow. Do you want to be able to tell another reason, another way in order to tell if somebody's a Christian or not? Is there fruit God's word says all over the place, if you abide in me, you should bear fruit. And as we focus on the spirit, and as we live in the spirit, and we feed the spirit in our life, fruit should grow. See, in Odessa, I didn't have to worry about this, but in Marshall, I'm having to learn a little bit about yards. And here's the problem. I don't know a whole lot. I'm learning. I'm in a new world every day. But see, here's what I did this past year. I bought myself weed and feed. And I wanted to get rid of my bahia grass. Okay? Because I've been learning about that. Thank you, Texas A&M. But here's what I've learned about this weed and feed. I looked on the bottle and it said for bahia grass. And it also listed like 30 other things it was for. Here's what I didn't realize. I wasn't getting the thing that was going to kill Bahia grass. I was getting the vitamin for Bahia grass. And I sprayed that on my yard, left for a week and a half. Guys, my, I called my wife. I said, how great does the yard look? Well, so glad you asked. I mean, like y'all, I could have charged a farmer to harvest the crop. It was incredible because I was feeding what I hated. And our walks with Christ, often we feed what we hate thinking it will go away. We feed what we hate thinking it will go away. But you know what's another way to get good grass going and to get rid of the weeds that you don't want? It's not, and I've learned this the other day. You don't have to necessarily kill all the weeds in your yard. 
If you'll just plant more and more grass, the grass will choke out the weeds. If you will continuously plant your seed and water your seed, it becomes more difficult for the weeds to grow where the grass already is. And I think if we will spend more time focusing on growing the fruits in our life, how can we be more loving? How can we show more love? How can we be a peacemaker? How can we be more gentle to our families? If we can focus on doing the fruits of the Spirit better, I believe that that will quench the sin in our life that we struggle with as we strive to be better at the fruits of the Spirit. Why should we give attention to the things of the enemy and neglect the things of the Lord? Church, in a moment, I'm going to let you go. But one thing I want for us to walk away with is this, is what you feed is always what grows. What you feed is always what grows, and we are in a spiritual battle. So how can we win the spiritual battle? We grow our spirit by allowing the fruits of the spirit to become plenty in our life. Listen, in a moment, we'll open up the altar. If you want to come talk to me or Brother Jeremy, please do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to make much of you. God, I pray that as we are in this battle, we will not simply be defensive, but we will be offensive. We will figure out how to grow the spiritual fruit in our lives in order to be a blessing to others and ultimately to be pleasing to you. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you guys stand this way?